Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're listening to WNYC's podcast, featuring the best 2018 midterms coverage from our talk shows and our award-winning local newsroom. Keep in mind, some segments may be edited for length. You can find the full shows on your favorite podcast app. It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning, everyone. On the program today, we will, of course, talk about the anonymous op-ed in the New York Times called I Am Part of the Resistance Inside the Trump Administration. Among our guests today will be former Secretary of State John Kerry. We'll see what he thinks about it. And we will ask others and you on the phones. Now, we've also launched a one-question Twitter poll which is an unscientific poll, of course, but we're curious to see how you answer this question. Should the anonymous op-ed writer have instead gone public and resigned? If you would like to answer that question, either way, uh, just go to our Twitter feed, at Brian Lehrer, and we will talk about it later on the show as we get some results. But you can go to uh, see our Twitter feed and take our one-question poll that we've linked to. Should the anonymous op-ed writer have instead gone public and resigned. Meanwhile, one week from today, Thursday, yes, Thursday, September 13th, is primary day in New York State. As you know, we've been covering the major races, and we continue to do that right now with New York State Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, Governor Cuomo's running mate, who is being challenged in the Democratic primary by Brooklyn City Council Member Jamani Williams. Council Member Williams was here on Tuesday. Lieutenant Governor Hochul gets her turn now. One important thing for you all to know about this election, before we get started, if you don't already know, is that you can split your vote in the Democratic primary. That is, you can vote separately for governor and lieutenant governor. And in fact, the polls show Cuomo with a big lead over Cynthia Nixon, but the hochul Jamani williams race as much closer. So there's that. Of course, we know a lot of polls are wrong about a lot of things. So we offer that with all the grains of salt that they deserve. Uh, but those polls are different. And the lieutenant governor race, according to the polls, is much closer. And you get to vote separately in these two races. And with that, Lieutenant Governor Hochul, welcome back to WNYC. Thank you, Brian. Delighted to be back. And listeners, we've been taking your questions for the candidates, and we'll continue to do that in this segment, 212-433-WNYC, 433-9692. People don't think that much about lieutenant governors, but anything you wanted to ask a lieutenant governor and never had the chance as she runs for re-election, 212-433-9692. Do you want to weigh in on the Times op-ed? Should they have instead gone public in opposition to Trump and resigned? First of all, I want to commend the New York Times for their courage in putting this unsigned letter forward, this message that was basically sound like there's a hostage situation where they are captive in the White House, but in their opinion, their patriotic duty requires them to stay. And I'm going to respect that. I believe that we need to have people that are uh, checks and balances outside, as Governor Cuomo and I have been fighting hard against the administration. But it gives me a little more comfort to know that there are insiders who will also think of our country first and not satisfying Donald Trump's ego. What if somebody inside the Cuomo administration had published such an op-ed about this context? What would you be saying then? 
I would be looking at it very differently than the way Donald Trump has with his extreme paranoia. Uh, if there are problems like that that someone needs to have come forward, I'd want to find out what they are and make sure we're addressing them because people deserve to have the best government possible. And I have served at every level council member, county official, a member of Congress, and now lieutenant governor. So I understand the tremendous power government has to do good for people, but also, as we've seen under Donald Trump, the incredible power it has to destroy people and destroy rights that we've cherished all of our lives. All right. On to your own race. One of the biggest differences between you and Jamani Williams is he says he would treat the office of lieutenant governor less like an assistant to the governor and more like a watchdog like the job of New York City public advocate is to the mayor, he says. Why wouldn't that be a better way to serve the people of New York, especially if Governor Cuomo wins re-election? Well, it's an interesting premise, but I'll tell you why it won't work. First of all, the number one job of lieutenant governor has to have the experience necessary to step in for the governor if necessary. I bring that lifetime of experience and the knowledge of how government works. Secondly, four years ago, the Democratic primary voters and the general election voters asked me to be Governor Cuomo's partner. We have been a team for four straight years. And so you don't see the gridlock that I saw firsthand paralyzing Washington when two men are in a fist fight with each other every day and things don't get done. So I would say as Lieutenant Governor working as a partner, we have been able to accomplish so much more increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour, ensuring that we have free education for young people who want to just have a better shot in life, uh, sexual assault on college campuses. I've been a champion to make sure that we eradicate that at its very beginnings. So I've worked hard, and I know that we can get more done working collaboratively. There are other checks on the administration. It does not have to be someone who, in my judgment, is more like a vice president, someone who should be working closely like Joe Biden did with President Obama. A follow-up point from Jamani Williams from a progressive politics standpoint is that Governor Cuomo has only done some of his most progressive things when he's under pressure from the left of the party. When Bill de Blasio was elected on promising universal pre-K for the city, only then did Cuomo adopt it for the state. When Zephyr Teachout ran against him in 2014 on a $15 minimum wage, among other things, only then did he adopt the wage uh, scale as his own, with Cynthia Nixon running on legalizing marijuana. Only then did he go from no to yes on that. So to progressive Democratic primary voters, why wouldn't they be better served having a Jemani Williams who keeps that kind of pressure on him rather than you who won't play that role when he seems to need it from their point of view? I reject the notion that he seems to need it. Uh, first of all, I personally have been a progressive and in the most Republican part of the state of New York my entire life. It is much harder to That's be- That's Buffalo, right? That is Western New York. And I have been a member of Congress who lost my seat because I refused to vote against the Affordable Care Act. I stood with Barack Obama when he needed my support. I've also been a champion of LGBTQ rights way back before it was a popular thing to do, including transgender individuals. I stood up as a county official to protect them and a champion for women's right to choose. I come from an area of the state where I was told when I first ran for office for council, if you did not accept the right to lifeline, you would never win. I rejected that. I stood shoulder to shoulder the women of Planned Parenthood and reproductive rights. So first of all, I am a progressive. Secondly, Governor Cuomo ensured that we had marriage equality three years ahead of the rest of the nation. He didn't need any pressure to do that. He did it because it was right. The SAFE Act, 
He did that in response to a crisis when we saw children slaughtered in their classrooms not far from here in Connecticut. So I reject the notion that Governor Cuomo needs other people to tell him to do what's right. The two of us work together as partner, and we put the interests of the people of New York first every time. And William's slogan is, any blue won't do, meaning not just any Democrat in this blue state. And to that point, the victory of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in Queens and the Bronx and the victory of Ayanna Presley in Boston over an incumbent Democratic congressman like uh, the one here was over a you know, very liberal uh, Democratic congressman, Joe Crowley, are examples of the new waves of progressives and younger people of color who are seen as more dedicated activists for change. Even if you and Jamani Williams agree on most issues, why shouldn't voters in this year's Democratic primary, if they're inspired by Ocasio-Cortez and Ayanna Presley, see Jamani Williams as the more meaningful choice for this moment? Well, first of all, I commend them on their elections. And as, as women, as someone as the only woman in statewide office currently, I'm proud to see more women stepping up, and I encourage it. I have been trying to get more women to run for office uh, since I first found how, what it takes to get elected. Secondly, I have been a bright blue in a sea of red. And that takes more courage and political guts and tenacity than to declare you're a certain shade of blue in Brooklyn. And so I have been there on issues, like I said, reproductive health for women, women's right to choose, ensuring rights for the LGBT community at a time when my challenger even waffled on those issues to his own detriment. And that became an issue when he ran for city council. That was pointed out by members of the media, not myself. So I'm not sure what color blue we're talking there, but I have been blue in a red part of our state. And this state is magnificent. It's larger than the five boroughs, although they're enormously important. But the majority of votes in a general election are going to come out of upstate New York, where I'm from. And I know my goal and the governor's goal is to make sure that we elect Democrats across the board and do not have a Republican governor or a Republican Senate any longer. So that's our focus. So I'm embracing the energy out there. A lot of young people have supported my race, particularly young women are excited that I've paved the way for many of them and I'm going to continue doing so. On Jermani Williams' past statements on abortion rights and same-sex marriage, he says... Those were, at one time, personally held positions. They were never his policy positions. And maybe one comparison is Mario Cuomo, the governor's father, who was so famous in his day, as you know, for saying as a human being, as a Catholic, uh, he's personally opposed to abortion. But as a politician, it's not his place to tell women what choice they should make as a matter of law. So, Jamani Williams on safe ground there? No. I will tell you, it is 2018. The country has moved uh, a long way, and particularly when women's reproductive rights are literally under assault as we speak. There are confirmation hearings going on in Washington, D.C., and if Kavanaugh is selected, and I believe he will be, as the next Supreme Court justice, it is no longer Chicken Little saying the sky is falling. The sky will have fallen. And we need strong people who are personally committed to women's reproductive health and always have been, even in tough times and under tough circumstances like I have, to stand up to Donald Trump and this new Supreme Court because we're going to have so much more to do here in the state of New York. We have to codify Roe v. Wade immediately in January. And I'm looking forward to continuing to campaign to elect Democrats. So Andrea Stewart-Cousins is the rightful leader of the Democratic Party and will protect women's rights. Always have, always will, never wavered. 
My guest is New York State Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul running for renomination at next Thursday's New York State Democratic primary against Brooklyn City Councilmember Jamani Williams. Councilmember Williams was here on Tuesday for his candidate interview. Lieutenant Governor Hochul is here right now for hers, and we can take some questions for her from you on the phones at 212-433-WNYC. 212-433-9692. And let's take one right now. Enid in Brooklyn. You're on WNYC. Hello, Enid. Hi. Thanks so much. I'm a big fan, Brian. Thank you. So I have two questions. Um, the first is um, the subways are obviously in atrocious shape. I'd like to understand um, what the lieutenant governor intends to do to help alleviate that situation. And the second is I'm interested in her position on charter schools. On the subways, uh, literally an hour and a half ago, I was standing at the Christopher Street subway system, uh, a subway station, literally listening to commuters. And I understand the depth of frustration, particularly on these really hot days and the desire of parents to get to work on time and get their kids to school on time. So uh, that is why we have embraced this issue despite 100 years of neglect where investments should have been made all along so we would not find ourselves in this crisis situation, the governor and I have stepped up. First of all, we have brand new leadership there, Andy Byford and other experienced individuals who are leading the charge to find ways that we can get this right. Secondly, unprecedented dollars are going into this system, $836 million for a subway plan, which is underway as we speak. We are ensuring that the we have longer trains, safer trains, more medical personnel to assist when something happens on the tracks, ensuring that our signage is synchronized. But we recognize this problem, and I assure you, just like we've undertaken major challenges, infrastructure, rebuilding new bridges and new airports, we are going to make sure that we have the greatest subway system in the world that people can be proud of. And we appreciate everyone supporting that. But it was long overdue, and our governor and I stepped up to do something about it. With respect to charter schools, uh, I am come out of a family of strong public school teachers. I believe in the value of public schools. My children were educated there. I was educated in public schools. Uh, I know in many communities, charter schools provide an alternative, an option for individuals, and we have been supportive, but the main thing is to not take away from our public school system. That is paramount, and that is what is going to create an opportunity for so many of our young people. The 1.1 million young kids going back to school in New York City, everyone deserves to have the best education, because that is how we're going to help elevate them out of many times bad circumstances when in their neighborhoods. Certainly on charter schools, to the extent that that's a voting issue for somebody Cuomo has been much more supportive of charter schools than Mayor de Blasio, so there's a divide there. Uh, if So it's a kind of pro-charter vote to vote for Cuomo or Hochul, right? It is a pro-public school as well. We have also invested over a billion dollars a year since I've been in office. We have we spend more per capita on our public school children than any state in the nation. And I'm proud of that. The governor is going to continue these huge investments. I think it's about $26 billion a year, and we're going upwards. We need to continue paying our teachers well here on the front line of support. And I just want, if I can diverge one minute on what we need to do to protect our teachers and our students. The governor and I have been out there, and I've been leading the charge on his behalf and the people of the state to ensure that we have protections when teachers and administrators see the signs of a young person in school where they could have propensities toward violence. 
we want to make sure that they can involve a judge, have an evaluation of that young person, and perhaps prevent the next school shooting. And that is something that the Republicans in the Senate have blocked, and we're continuing to be out there calling them out for it. And I want people to remember this in November when you go to vote, that Republicans are standing in the way of the safety of your own children. And to her question about the MTA, one of the differences between de Blasio and the Cuomo administration has been on how to pay uh, for, you know, improving the system. Uh, the mayor is for a millionaire's tax. The governor is for congestion pricing. Um, Jumani Williams, when he was here on Tuesday, supported the millionaire's tax. I would ask, why not support both things? They don't necessarily run in opposition to each other. Uh, neither one is probably going to be enough for a meaningful, meaningful change uh, at the MTA. Um, why are you opposed, I'm assuming you have the same position as the governor, to uh, tax on people in New York City, I think is all the mayor is trying to get, who make over $1 million per year? I will tell you that there are multiple approaches to getting the funding stream, but there has to be a dedicated funding source. And we are proponents of congestion pricing. Certainly the details need to be worked out on this. We also just instituted a fee for four higher vehicles below 96. Again, these get at the Uber and the Lyft vehicles that need to contribute to uh, this overall problem. Uh, with respect to the millionaire's tax, I don't know if most people know that this, but we have the most progressive tax of any state in the nation and the highest tax on millionaires. And so we have that in place now. But I agree with this, the premise that we need to find a dedicated source of funding so we have the resources necessary to commit, continue commitments that are going to go long beyond this cycle or even beyond our own time in office. This has to be a long-term strategy so we never, ever find ourselves in a situation where prior politicians, city and state leaders of the past, never had the political courage to say, we own this, we have to dedicate the money and the resources and get it fixed. What's wrong with the millionaire's tax for whatever it winds up going? Each election season, political memoirs abound, doorstops that sometimes divulge more than intended. No matter how diligently they present themselves in the most electable light, they always reveal themselves, their insecurities, their fears, their ambitions. How to read a Politico on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts. For in this climate of extreme income inequality. I don't disagree that we have extreme income inequality, and that's one of the reasons why we fought, and I was one of the leaders of this initiative, to have a $15 minimum wage because we had to raise up people from the bottom, first of all. Uh, literally visiting a senior center in the city yesterday, talking to seniors who work at minimum wage jobs at but why McDonald's. Not, why not both? There's, op there's various sources of funding. We can consider everything. Patrick in Yorkville, you're on WNYC with Kathy Hochul. Hey, Brian. Uh, great talking with you. Um, and hello, uh, Lieutenant Governor Hochul. Uh, this is Patrick Boblin. I live in Yorkville on the Upper East Side. And I have a question. You've, um, you've touted your long history in this conversation of being blue and progressive, and gun control has long been a progressive issue uh, since before Newtown in 2012, which is actually the year that you were given the A rating by the NRA. So I'm wondering if you can explain why any Democrat uh, should be considered for office in... Um, in this state with an A rating from the NRA, and I won't accept that you've evolved. I wasn't pro-gun six years ago, and neither were any truly progressive candidates. 
Well, I represented an area known as Western New York where even Democrats and working family party members are gun holders. It's not something I personally believe in, but I also believe that as a representative in Congress, I was representing them. But I regret those decisions. I wish I had not taken those votes. I've said that before. And that is why when I ran as lieutenant governor, I had an F rating from the NRA, and they have uh, been fighting me ever since, and I've taken them on with uh, great relish because the governor and I know that they are the barriers to many of the common sense reforms. And the SAFE Act came after my time in Congress, and it's it said to me, why can't we have these same ideas that are just common sense, universal background checks, banning assault weapons, having a longer cooling off period? Why can't we have this at the federal level? And I'll never forget my extreme disappointment and anguish after Newtown when our own Congress couldn't do something that the majority of Americans, including Republicans, supported, which was expanding background checks like we do in the state of New York. So this is something I'm deeply passionate about. And, uh, you know, I respect your opinion, and I truly do. I, I really do. And you say you regret your past A rating from the NRA? Yes, I do. It was a temporary time when I was in Congress, and my title was U.S. Representative at the time. Uh, I did represent that district. I'm very proud to represent the entire state of New York where I can uh, espouse the values that I've, I've held a long time. And I do believe that this country needs to take on the NRA. And I believe that there are rational people, not just on the Democratic side, on the Republican side, who understand that that organization has be become an organization that is absolutely detrimental to the safety and welfare of American citizens. There's a question of whether you and Governor Cuomo are trying to avoid democracy in this campaign as much as possible by minimizing debates. The only debate the governor accepted was on Wednesday going into Labor Day weekend, and the only one you accepted after promising more was in the morning during the workday on the same day as the governor's debate on Tiny MNN, the Manhattan Neighborhood Network public access channel seen only in Manhattan. Are you, and you're here today, which, of course, we appreciate and the listeners do, but are you trying to hide a real debate from the people of New York with you versus Jamani Williams side by side on TV in a way that's widely distributed? I will say that democracy finds itself in many forms. It is not simply being on one television program debate. That night, I was actually at a public forum in Queens. Uh, Jamani Williams was welcome. I, we had done a joint appearance together sponsored by Indivisible Westchester. I have been at countless forums, and that's why when I go out to these, particularly the Democratic clubs, I've won their support. Uh, the Village Independent Democrats, for example, I just they campaigned with me this morning at the subway stops. They believe in me because they've heard me firsthand, so I am out there literally in the streets connecting with people. It's a large geographic area, but I have made such an impact. And I'm proud of that, that people finally get the chance to know that yes, Lieutenant Governor is not necessarily the face of the administration in the media, but I'm the person working to get things done for the people of the state of New York behind the scenes. As a follow-up, what happened in this case? You were on Spectrum News New York One with Era Lewis on July 17th, and the segment ended with this exchange as Errol notes you have some differences with Jamani Williams. It sounds like you all have some things to talk about. Perhaps we'll have a debate, so let me invite you here and now. I was going to ask. Uh, I was going to say, if you don't invite me, I'm going to invite myself. Okay. Was, uh, we have a uh, forum in a week from now. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about that, but I thought it'd be a great opportunity if I can uh, uh, challenge my There's no my debate like a Spectrum oh. News debate. Oh, I bet it'd be great. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, very good. We'll see what he has to say. So that was you in July. Looking forward to it. Then you refused the New York One debate. What should the voting public make of that? 
Well, simply that particular debate did not work out. But uh, what do you I'm, mean did not work out? It just it's scheduling wise, we weren't able to. It just did not work out. What was so and important? I will tell you, more I will tell important you though, than that, well, which is seen statewide. I will tell you, people all over upstate in particular have seen me debate, but who I've debated the most are people like Chris Collins when I was running for re-election as a member of Congress. And I have been battle-tested because I've had I've been subjected to scurrilous campaign ads put out by uh, the Koch brothers and Carl Rove and others. And sure, so, but so you're not think, running against them now. No, but I, I also think we need to continue focusing. You know, We will get through this primary, and I predict that I will be successful. I've been able to raise over $2 million from strong supporters. I have the strong support of labor across the state of New York who've been there since my very early days in Buffalo as the daughter of steelworkers. They know I'm with them on all the issues that are important to them and will fight with them against Donald Trump as the governor and I have done. So I have run a very hard, competitive campaign. I run like an underdog in every one of my 11 elections, and that's why I'm successful. So I have been out there, the face of the administration on many initiatives. People know me, and I, I'm more one-on-one. I see the people in the streets, and in the communities, at the block clubs, at the night shows, summer picnics I continue to go to. The underdog I, position is to have more debates, not less. But speculation in the Albany press corps was that you were ready and willing, and the governor's campaign people put the kibosh on it. What was their role in your reversal on a New York One debate? There's, there's nothing to comment on there. There's no role. There's no role there. This is simply something that didn't work out. Mark in Seaford, you're on WNYC with Kathy Hochul. Hi, Mark. Hi, really, I'm very honored to be a supporting member of NPR and and, and honored that you support the people. Um, you, I sir. keep hearing about free tuition for New York residents for college, and my son needed one history class to graduate, and he, I signed him up for Farmingdale State University, SUNY, and we were t- turned on for all financial aid and all public assistance because he's only taking one course at uh, the SUNY, and I'm paying over $1,000 for one class for him. So where is this free tuition? I'm glad you asked because a lot of people are, you know, it's, it's a relatively new program, so we want to make sure that everyone know all the facts behind it. And, and uh, congratulations on having a son at Farmingdale. I was just there making a major energy announcement to protect uh, the environment on Long Island a couple days ago. First of all, the program was an opportunity to reach out to middle-class families because many times families where the students or the parents earn less than 50000 they already can attend a SUNY or CUNY college uh, without the tuition costs. And so the gap was between individuals where their parents have between 50 and 125,000, and that was that middle class range where so many parents are struggling trying to figure out even whether they can have that opportunity for their children or not. And what we offered was to close the gap after you've garnered your TAP support, your scholarships, your Pell Grants, you piece that all together. And if there is still a shortfall between that and the average SUNY tuition, which is about $6,800, the state of New York is so vested in your child's future that will make up that difference. It does require at this time that students be enrolled in a full-time program, and the reason being is we wanted to get this off the ground. We are still the only state in the nation that offers a program like this for two-year and four-year students, and we're certainly looking at other opportunities to expand it, but we needed to get the funding from the legislature and that's what we did our very first year. But I'm happy to take a look at it again to deal with people in your situation. I, I was in literally in a fast food restaurant a couple of days ago talking to the woman who overheard me talk about it, And she just came up to me and said, well, can you explain how this works? And she walked away and says, oh, okay, now I get it. And so I appreciate your feedback. 
Uh, and so I, there are holes in this. And this is one of the things that Jamani Williams brought up when he was here Tuesday, that this isn't really free public college in the way that, uh, um, well, he didn't say Bernie Sanders, but I'll say in the way that Bernie Sanders, for example, means it. This is the kind of patchwork system that you were describing to cover that last dollar for students who need it. Um, but that certainly means that there are holes like Mark's kid can fall through that crack. Well, you can define it as holes, or you can say, I'm happy I live in a state that even has this because the other 49 don't. And so this was a progressive move to find a way to start the opportunities for young people to be able to go to college and end up debt-free when they graduate because that is the number one debt in our nation right now. It's no longer mortgages. It's no longer credit card. It is student debt, and we know what that's doing to our young people. So. I would not call them holes. I would say that this is a program that's geared toward full-time students, but also recognize that the majority of CUNY students are already going tuition-free. We're not talking about other costs. I'm not talking about room and board at a SUNY school. Mm -hmm. We've always called this a tuition supportive program. But I believe that there's such excitement about this that it's definitely worth looking into expanding. But you had to get it off the ground. We had a budget for it. We had to get it through the Republican Senate which is not always easy to do when you mm -hmm. wanna have additional expenses, but right. I'm glad we made this commitment because I've talked to so many young people who come up to me and say, listen, I can now go to college. And a young man who worked at the hotel I stayed at in Albany, he said that he's now gonna be able to study criminal justice and someday be an FBI agent, and he thanked the governor and I for even getting this off the ground. And on it being geared to full-time students, uh, people have argued that that leaves out the people who in so many cases need the aid the most, the people who can't afford to go full-time to college, who have to work to keep going to, or, or maybe they have families already or whatever it is, and who wind up going um, part-time. You know that it takes six years, seven years for many people to get through, and those people don't get the um, quote-unquote free public college. Why not? Well, if they're already earning 50000 or less, they do qualify, okay? so that's part-time students. That they, they already qualify. And so that is, those are pre-existing programs. What we're talking with the Excelsior Scholarship is to capture the individuals who are not able to get that level of assistance, the middle-class families, 50 to 125,000. But you're absolutely right. I mean, this is the feedback that we're bringing back now to the legislature and saying, is this something else we can consider? And the original premise was that we know that the debt increases the longer time you spend in school. So if you are going six, seven, eight years, it's gonna take you so much longer to be able to get this your education behind you and and emerge and eventually get become debt-free. So we wanted to create an incentive for people if they could to go full-time, get it over with, and graduate without having debt from their tuition costs. But I have taken, I've, I've heard this before, Brian, it is a new program, proud that New York State is the only one that offers it, and uh, people should be assured that we're taking it back and taking another look at see how we can expand it even more. A tweet from a listener who heard you attack Jumani Williams on his past positions on sexuality, on which he says um, he never held them as public positions, and you said we don't have uh, the place in this current climate for people who are, quote, evolving. But then this says, quote, uh, so Hochul can evolve on guns, but Jumani Williams can evolve on other issues? That's not what I was saying. I was simply saying that something that is deeply personal to a woman the right to whether or not a man is gonna tell you what you do with your own body is something that is different. This is something that you either have it or you don't. I'm not sure how you can evolve on something that affects women so deeply and personally. I understand this. 
And so that's why a lot of women I spoke to uh, question this. Now, I welcome him, too. He says he's pro-choice. I, I, wel- pro-choice. I, I welcome him now. And I'm just pointing about newspapers that have pointed out these conservative views. These are not my words. This is newspaper articles that pointed out when he was running for speaker that that could be a barrier. I didn't make that up. That is what's out there. But I welcome him to now uh, finally supporting women's reproductive health and finally supporting the full panoply of rights for the LGBT community, uh, marriage equality included, because unlike what he said, marriage should be avail- available for people who just love each other, uh, no conditions. So yes, uh, I'm, I'm proud that he's now evolved on those issues. And it's important that anyone who calls himself uh, even an entry-level Democrat, that those two are pretty much the uh, the tickets you pay for entry as a Democratic member of our society. One more call. Sherry in the Bronx. You're on WNYC with Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul running for re-election in next Thursday's Democratic primary, or I should say renomination at this point. Hi, Sherry. Oh, hi. Thank you. Um, I thank Governor Cuomo for crafting a sexual harassment policy model, uh, but reading it, I do not see a critical piece for success. Public hearings. Public hearings, wherein stakeholders, including, of course, uh, survivors, would be included. So please speak with that. Thank you. And thank you for your support of this. This is something, again, uh, it's tough being the only woman in office sometimes because uh, this is something that I see and feel personally among friends and other people who've come to me with their stories. And so I believe there should be a brighter spotlight on this issue overall. And that is why I've worked very hard to make sure that we have policies, not just in state government, but to also ensure that the public sector leads the way and the private sector follows. We can't have a dual system where women are protected in the state government and not protected by their employers. And that's something I'm going to continue working on. We're not there yet, despite the fact that the Me Too movement has allowed so many more voices to be heard. Uh, Hearings are one way to get information out, no doubt about it. Also, the forums that I've held to talk to individuals. I've been at programs even yesterday allocating money for survivors of sexual assault, which is a variation of sexual harassment. It can lead to assault. And so, uh, thank you for being involved in this battle as well. We're not finished yet, but we've made tremendous progress. All right. We're just about out of time. Um, I'm going to give you an open mic to make a closing argument to uh, the public to vote for you next Thursday. Um, getting back very briefly to the big thing that Jumani Williams is running on, that he would be more like a public advocate, sort of watchdog on the governor as lieutenant governor, uh, especially if Cuomo is the governor, he's supporting Cynthia Nixon. What if the tables were turned? Since people can split their ticket in um, in this race in the primary, what if Cynthia Nixon got elected governor and you got elected lieutenant governor and she was doing things that you didn't agree with? I don't engage, engage in hypotheticals, but my view is is that the voters elect a partnership. They want individuals who work together because I've been around long enough to remember when Albany was absolutely dysfunctional. Budgets were not on time. We were blowing up the uh, the budget. There's no reliability for local governments when I was a local official. I don't want to return to that dysfunction that I experienced firsthand as a member of Congress and a Republican Congress. I want to make sure that we have people who are partners, get the job done. We have a great record of accomplishment. And I believe that the model that we have now where the governor and I are teammates and working together every single day to better the lives of New Yorkers cannot be argued. You cannot argue with the success that we've had working together in a partnership. One minute, open mic, 
Closing arguments. Well, thank you very much. And I, I am proud of our record of accomplishment. But at the end of the day, and I heard this so many times, just standing at the subway stops and talking, they want the governor and I to continue leading the resistance against Donald Trump. And so we need to make sure that when we're done with this primary season, we pull back together and get out there and elect Democrats to the New York State Senate so we can get through our final agenda, which has been thwarted by the Republicans, whether it's sensible gun safety, whether it's early voting, something I've been championing, campaign finance reform, repealing the LLC. We have a lot of reforms we want to get through that have been stymied. So I want to make sure that we have an opportunity to go out there and fight for Democrats against Republicans. I'm trying to win races on Long Island. We have a new opportunity there to pick up seats in a red area, members of uh, this New York State Senate. I believe in January, we'll have a brand new opportunity if we continue pulling together as a united party against Donald Trump and the Republicans in New York State. Kathy Hochul running for renomination in next Thursday's, yes, Thursday's Democratic primary, September 13th, uh, for Lieutenant Governor. And earlier this week, we had her opponent, Jamani Williams, on the show. You can listen to that one online. You can share this one online once we post it um, with your friends and relatives so that a lot of people come out to vote. Whoever you vote for, stay involved, stay engaged, especially in 2018. We've had all four um, Democrats running for attorney general. Now we've had both Democrats running for lieutenant governor. We're hoping to have Cynthia Nixon and Andrew Cuomo in the next week before uh, next Thursday's vote. And Lieutenant Governor Hochul, thank you so much for coming into our studio and giving us the time. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, visit wnyc.org election.